I'm ready. Hey guys, thanks for letting me be here uh, this afternoon. Um, Ronnie's been throwing some people under the bus here up on stage, so I'm going to throw him under the bus. Who plans a conference the day before Easter? I got stuff to do. I got my beauty sleep. Cole, what's going on here? I don't know. Um, Now, thank you guys uh, for being here, and uh, thank you for letting me have the chance to come and speak uh, I love this conference. I love this idea. When Ronnie brought it up, I was uh, immediately impressed and uh, wanted to be a part of it. And so I think it's an amazing reminder for all of us uh, that we are broken and that the grace of Jesus matters. Amen? It matters for each one of us. And so I hope that, uh, I hope that you've heard that. Um, my daughters have this DVD and, uh, and they want to play it all the time. Every time we go into the vehicle, uh, that's what they want to play. It's their favorite movie. And it frustrates me like crazy because I know that DVD is scratched up horribly. They throw it around and they don't put it in the case properly. It's all scratched up. So I know every time it gets to the one spot in the movie, it's going to skip. It's going to freeze up and it's not going to do what it's supposed to do. And yet every time my daughters want to play this movie for whatever reason, and it frustrates me so terribly because I know it's broken. And when it gets that same spot, every single time it fails. Every single time it fails. And when when I was talking to Ronnie about this idea of broken records ministry, I kept thinking about a broken record. And a broken record, when it gets to that same spot, it's going to fail over and over again. I don't know if you felt like that sometimes in your life where you hear the good news of Jesus and you've accepted the grace of God and you're like, yes, I want the hope of Jesus. And yet then it gets to that same part of your life and it seems like you keep failing. You get to that one spot and it's like I keep messing up over and over and over again. Like a broken record, like a DVD that's all scratched up without fail. I'm going to fail. And sometimes it can feel a little bit hopeless. And I hope you listened to Pastor Bobby today and heard that hope is available through Jesus. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 that we once were far from God and that God has brought us back and that he has redeemed us. And even though we chose sin and chose to fall away and were hopeless and didn't deserve it at all, but God came to save us. And I just think, Pastor Bob, if you're still here, I think that'd be a great sermon series for you. Big butts of the Bible, but God. I'm telling you, all throughout Scripture. Look, I even got a logo for you. I found a logo for you. Big butts. They won't let me do it at my church, but you could probably do it. If you want to do it at your church, that'd be great. There's so many verses in the Bible. I'm just telling you, it'd be a great sermon series. There are so many verses of the Bible that says, here's your situation, but God. Here's where you have failed, but God. I'm just telling you, big butts of the Bible. It'd be great. It'd be a great sermon series. By grace, you have been saved. Ephesians chapter two gives this beautiful verse. It says, by grace, you have been saved. It's not of a work of yourself, nothing you have done, but God, but God has saved us. He has done it. He has given us this gift of forgiveness. He has saved us to which we say amen. And we say, thank you. The problem is that once I accept that and I believe that and I've embraced it, I still live in this. I still live in this world. I still am flesh. I still fail, and I still feel like that broken record. And so I ask God, if you have saved me, why is that? If you have redeemed me, why do I fail? If you have restored me and given me your Holy Spirit, 
then, then why do I keep messing up all the time at the same spot? Why do I feel like each time that DVD reaches the spot, my life reaches that spot, I'm going to fail? Paul goes on in Ephesians chapter 2, right after he says this amazing verse, right? This is the gift of God. He saved you. Everything's incredible, what God has done. And then Paul goes and ruins this perfect verse by including verse 10. Let me read for you verse 10. He says, for we, or for we, are what has been made. He has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. I want you to focus in on that middle part there where it says we are created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. Say it one more time. For what? For good works. You are created by God for good works. It's as almost as if Paul is saying he has saved you. And even though you're broken and you don't deserve his salvation, he has given it freely. It's the message of the resurrection of Jesus. But he saved you for a purpose in order that you do something with it. In order that we, we can respond in some way. And you'll see, hopefully today, that by our response and doing these good works, he's actually transforming us. He's actually changing us. They actually matter a whole lot. Before we get too far into this, I want to do something. I want to, I want to take a moment to pray uh, because you've heard a lot of different themes and ideas today, but they've all centered around this idea that God forgives, that he heals, he accepts us even as we're broken. And so what I want to do just for this moment is I'd like to pray. And if you're someone that has been struggling, believing that God accepts you, if you're someone that is struggling with believing that you have been forgiven, if you're someone that has sins in your life that you have hidden and you've tucked away, but they are eating at you and they are stinking up the rest of yourself, the rest of your life, and you need to get them out, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and I promise I'll make it a good long prayer. And I'd like for you to get up and I'd like for you to go to the back because there's going to be people back there waiting to pray with you. And you can stay back there as long as you want. I promise I won't look at you or make you feel weird. But today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where you can receive that kind of forgiveness and that kind of hope. And before we move on and talk about, okay, if we've received that hope, what do we do with it? I want to give an opportunity for you. If, if you've been struggling lately with believing that Jesus is for you, that he shows up for you and that he loves you, I want to give you an opportunity to talk with someone back there and to accept that today. So if you would, pray with me and uh, we're going to give an opportunity for this to take place. God, we come before you and we know that we uh, have failed you. We know that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And and God, it's not that just we've fallen short. We chose it. We wanted it. We pursued it. We were enemies of you. And I know, God, when when we hear the gospel message, it doesn't make sense. That someone that we have offended so greatly not only would forgive us, but would provide a way for us to be restored and healed. That a good God that we have made ourselves an enemy of for so long would give up his one and only son for us. That gospel message doesn't make sense, Lord. But you, in your infinite wisdom, in your mysterious grace, have done that for us. 
And so, God, I pray right now that we receive that, that we receive the gift of hope that you have given us, the forgiveness that you have given to us. And for those of us, God, who have been hiding from you for far too long, who have been running away from you for far too long right now, Lord, I pray that you would help us to take the first step towards you, to give up running away and to step towards you by speaking with someone, by praying with them, by saying, I need help. As we take this time now to give thanks for what you have done for us and the reminder of the grace that you have given us, Lord, we are humbled. We know we don't deserve it. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all things and even through today, uh, that it wouldn't be about us, it wouldn't be about uh, any person here, but it would be about your glory and us pursuing and chasing after you. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. All God's people say together, amen. That DVD of my girls, I have washed it, I have cleaned it, but it's going to fail every single time. And, and I, I don't want that for my life. The Apostle Paul says we are to grow up, we are to mature. We're not supposed to stay in the same place, in the same level of faith that we have been always. We're supposed to grow and mature. So what do we do with this gift of grace? I think God is calling us today to something greater than the life that we have been living. He's calling us to live in freedom. He's calling us to live in this grace. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember the first time you got your driver's license? And I'm not just talking about like that, you know, that little permit that you were kind of still on restriction. I'm talking when you were, you were free and clear for the first time. I grew up in Delaware. Where? Uh, I don't know if you've ever met someone from Delaware, but I grew up in Delaware on the East Coast. If you don't know where that is, you go look it up. You can Google it later. Um, and it's a pretty, pretty liberal place, and they have all these restrictions before you get your license. You have to sit through this whole course. It's like a six-session course where you're learning in the classroom, and then you have to take like uh, so many hours of driving with an instructor, and then after that, you have to drive with your mom and dad, and then after that, you have time limits on your... Like, it takes forever to get your license. I married a girl from Iowa, and she's like, yeah, we, we, we just got our license when we were like 14, 13. You got to drive the tractors out there, so they just give, give them away like candy. Um, like, what? But I remember the day, I remember the day that I, I, I got my license, and it was free and clear, right? It wasn't like I had restrictions. It, I could drive wherever I wanted, whenever I wanted. And um, my mom one day told me to run to the store to get something for her, and I got the keys to the van. Now, when I say van, don't think minivan. Think 15-passenger van, uh, because I grew up in a family. I was one of 11. I'll give you time for your reaction. That's okay. Um, but it was, it was kind of like this, but a big, a big uh, V8 engine in this thing, right? And my mom says, go get something at the store, right? And so I finally got my license. I finally got my freedom. I get in the van. And what do you think a young boy is going to do when he gets behind the wheel of a vehicle for the first time, free and clear? I was at 10 and 2 and did 35 the whole time, right? No. I wanted to see how fast I could go, how quick it would go. I had no idea a 15-passenger van could go that fast or shake that much. I just had no, I was, had no idea. You know, when you pull out, you're like, all right, we're going to stomp it. We're just going to go. We're going to see what happens here. What is it about us that when we finally receive some freedom, we choose to abuse it? 
what is it about humans that when we get a little bit of freedom, we start thinking about all the things we shouldn't do with it? Paul is very clear in the book of Ephesians. He says, God has given you this freedom. Even as a broken record, even as a person that has abused God and, 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 and ch- chosen to walk away from him, he has given you this freedom of forgiveness and this new life. But he says, don't use that grace as an opportunity for you to do whatever you want with it. He's given it to you for a reason. If you have your Bibles, turn in the book of uh, Romans. If you have your phones and your Bibles on the phone, uh, I'll allow you to turn there in Romans. That's okay. I I won't judge you too badly for that. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and we're going to try to unpack what it means to live in this freedom. Let's try to see the how of what God wants us to do with his grace so that he can restore us, so that we don't have to just be that same old mistake over and over and over again. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 through 4 says, What are we then to say? Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? That is, could I uh, continue in sin is like sitting in it, living in it. I'm staying in the house of sin. Should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin go on living in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into his death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in a new life, different than before. Paul says, if you want to experience the grace of God in a powerful, incredible way, die to your sin. Die to your sin. Paul says, kill it. Kill it. It's different language then we typically think about sin. We typically think about wrestling with sin. We typically think about pushing away sin, dealing with it. He says, die to it. Kill it off. Shed it because you no longer need it. That means I, I have to not just hate myself because I give into it. I have to hate that sin. Die to your sin. Paul says, even himself struggled with sin. God, he asked God to remove the thorn from his side in his ministry, which we never got a response from other than my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my strength is shown even more. But Paul says, before I begin to live in this new life, I have to die to the old life. The famous preacher and writer John Wesley said, to be dead to sin means to be free from the guilt and from the power of sin. This is countercultural from a culture that has told us that we must be ashamed all the time, that we are too broken beyond repair. And so we typically just hide it, don't we? We hide our sin because we come into church and we smile and we say, yeah, I'm good. You good? Yeah, I'm good. Did you have a good week? Yeah, I had a good week. Yeah, you about you? Okay. And so we hide our sin. My, uh, my wife and I used to live in this, this double wide, uh, so small house, right? And uh, one time we came home and, uh, and it stunk. 
And I'm talking like the kind of stinking that like you know there's a dead animal somewhere, but you can't quite, you know, figure out what it is. And so she immediately says, I can't stay here. So she's got to leave. So I'm in the house. I'm just trying to find this dead animal. Couldn't find it. Looking for a day, still couldn't find it. Looking for the next day, still couldn't find it. And one day, my daughter drops something in the kitchen, and I bend down to pick it up, and I look underneath the refrigerator, and I see this bulge. And, um, and you know how sometimes there's moisture that you know, is around your fridge, right? And there was a mouse that had died, but it didn't just die. That moisture just, like, ballooned it up, and it was just there. And, I, and we tried everything. We, I, I sprayed Febreze all over that place, you wouldn't believe. Uh, we tried cooking meals that smelled nice. We tried doing the nice things to make your house smell good. But until we got that rotting flesh out of there, the house would never smell good. And in our lives, some of us would just keep hiding our sin. It's like we're trying to, and we keep going to church, we keep doing the good things. We're just like putting rose petals on something that is dying and stinking in your house. Until you remove it, until you get it out, it's still going to stink it up. This is why confession is so important throughout the New Testament. John says, confess your sins one to another. Why? So that you might be forgiven. So you might experience new life. Die to sin. So that you do not have to be held by its power. Shame. Shame is is only as powerful as you let it become. Shame only happens when we believe a narrative about ourselves that may or may not be true. But when you accept, yes, this is my sin, and I'm going to tell you, someone that you trust, someone that can handle it, someone that you respect, that can help walk you with, with you through it, shame is only as powerful as we let it become. Confess our sin. Get it out. Paul says, in order to live this life of freedom, we die to sin. And when we get it out, we're inviting the light of God into our lives. We're inviting his power into our life. Notice Paul says when you submit yourself to Jesus, you're not just dying to sin. You're uniting yourself with something even more powerful than the effects of sin. You're uniting yourself to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which I hope you all celebrate tomorrow. I hope you all rejoice and worship and give thanks for the resurrection of Jesus. Because it's more powerful than sin. Paul writes later on, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? It's done away with. It's gone because of the resurrection of Jesus. This means we experience new life, but you don't get to new life without there being a death first. You don't get the resurrected Christ without the cross. And some of us continue to live in sin because we're not ready to let it go. We know it's wrong, but we just want it. Or we feel dependent on it, and we don't want to die because dying is hard. Die to sin, and grace will take over. Number two, Paul says, present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. If you want to experience God's grace in this real way, if you want to know what his desire for you is, die to sin, but then you're going to experience this Okay, now what? And Paul says, you present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. This is a picture of a blues guitar player called uh, Kingfish. Uh, I think, and we could argue about this, I think he's one of the best blues guitar players now. And the guitar that he's holding in his hand is a very beautiful and expensive guitar. 
And if I were to grab that guitar and to start playing it, there is no way I could ever make it as good or sound as good as he could make it sound. But if I were to give him a junky, you know, maybe a cheaper guitar that had to be tuned in between every song, I don't know, maybe something like that. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um, If I handed him a, a cheaper guitar, he could make that thing sound so beautiful. Because it's not about the instrument, it's about the hands that hold the instrument, right? So Paul says, even though you have failed, God has redeemed you, he's forgiven you, he's given you this grace, you die to your sin, you say, now what? I don't feel like I'm worthy of anything, what do I do now? He says, you present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. You hand yourself over to him and say, I don't feel like I'm much, God, but do something with me. And he might say, start a podcast. Or he might say, serve your neighbor. Or he might say, volunteer at church. Or he might say, you know what? Use your writing abilities to start writing people that need help. Whatever it might be, you probably won't at first feel like this doesn't make sense. In fact, it doesn't even seem like it's going to work, God. What do you mean I'm going to start creating short movies and films? And I'm just a nerd that loves to, you know, mess on the computer. Present yourself to God, and he's going to use you as an instrument for something more powerful than you could ever imagine. This is the good works that Paul was talking about in Ephesians. And it's not about how skillful you are. It's about the, inst- or about the person who's using the instrument. Because it's not about the instrument. It's about the one who's in control. Paul writes, look at uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is how we overcome sin. This is how we move away from that old self that just kept messing up. We show up and we say, God, I don't don't know what you're going to do with this because you've seen the mess that I've created, but I'm here and I'm going to show up and I want you to do something with my life. We do not do good works because it's nice. We don't do good works because we feel obligated to do them or, you know, someone manipulated us into doing them. We do good works because it changes the world and somehow God uses it to change you and me. So if you're someone that has embraced that concept in your life, can I just tell you, it matters. When you choose to show kindness to the waitress that messed up your order, it matters. When you, when you choose to bless someone else, even though they didn't know it was coming, it matters. When you choose to show up and serve those around you, it matters. When you take care of your family and your neighbors, it matters. When you choose a kind word rather than what you're really wanting to say, it matters. And not only does it matter for other people, God uses it to transform your life. It's you showing up. So oftentimes we focus on our old self and who we used to be, and we focus so much on where we want to get. We're like, God, I want to get to that place over there some point, and we forget that God's just asking you to show up today. When Jesus was calling his apostles, he went to them, if you remember, and he said, all right, Peter, I want you to go home, get cleaned up, shave, look nice for me. I want you to study your Old Testament, memorize a couple of books of the Bible, and then come back and you will be good enough to follow me. That's not what he said, right? What did he say? Drop your nets and come on. He didn't say perfect yourself at that moment. He said, just just show up. 
He didn't say that you're going to be good enough in the moment. He said, just show up. I will teach you. Present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. The point is that when we accept God's grace, we often think our lives can just be about what we want. But Paul calls himself a bond servant. The term is doulos. It means a slave. That is not my life anymore. I don't get to just to say where I want to go or what I want to do or how I want to spend my money or, or, or how I want to talk to people or, or the things I want to accomplish. It's not mine anymore. My life is forfeit when I give myself over to Jesus. When I accept his grace, I am accepting the yoke that he puts upon me. And I say, God, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'm bound to Jesus. But the amazing thing is, is that the yoke of Jesus, his burden that he places on us is light and it is good and he cares about our life. Do not let your weaknesses keep you from showing up. That's how Satan likes to use our weaknesses. He reminds you of who you were, and he says, okay, now you can't do something because of who you used to be. But it's exactly by stepping out and saying, God, I want you to use me. That's exactly how God transforms our life. He uses us as instruments of righteousness, even though we don't deserve it. Paul says, present yourself to God. We show up. Contrary to what most people think, when you give your life to God, when you show up, that's exactly when you truly find life and life to the fullest. A lot of times we think that when I surrender my life to God, that's when I lose and that's when I stop enjoying life. And if it's not about me anymore, then I'm not going to have anything good for me. But I, I don't... If this is all there is, if secular humanists are right... If, if this is all there is, if this world and the physical world is all there is, then I should be more satisfied with life. The more selfish I am, the more satisfied with life I should be. And I don't know about you, but I know a lot of selfish people who are miserable. They get what they want all the time, but they are miserable. Paul says, you want to experience new life? You want to live in the grace of God? Then you present yourself to God as an instrument of righteousness. Make it about him. Be that conduit of, of his, and you're going to see life is so much more enjoyable. And the amazing thing is, is you're going to be happier. This is how God transforms your life from a broken record into a new masterpiece when you show up for him. So to that end, let me just pick on one of these ideas and just ask you a question. Because Paul talks a lot about of the ways that he showed up for God. He talks about how he was a a minister to the churches. He talked about how he set up churches. He was a missionary. He was a preacher, a teacher. He did all these things for God. That's how he showed up. But my question for you is this. What is your mission for the kingdom of God? What is your mission for the kingdom of God? Because we can't just pay other people to do our mission for us. Right? We can't just pay the preacher and say, okay, he's going to do the mission. I'll support someone doing the mission. Now, that's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to support your church and to support your leaders. But what is your mission? You have been transformed by the grace of Jesus. You have new life. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation for God's own possession. You are an instrument of righteousness for God. So what is your mission? Go ahead and look around in this, this room. Go ahead and stare at people. I know you've been wanting to all night. Just go ahead and just look around the room. 
You know, we often talk about that one person that can change the world, but I don't see just one person in this room. I see so many different people that have gifts and talents and abilities and spiritual blessings that God has given each one of us. And it's time for us to stop asking, hey, what ministry should I support? And start asking the question, what ministry has God called me to? Because not only can you transform the world that way, but God's going to use it to transform you. That's how he buffers out the scratches of our life. That's how he cleans us up. That's how he restores us when our hands are busy doing his work. You can ask anybody that you think is mature in faith, is doing incredible work. You say, man, how did you get there? And most of them will probably have some sort of story of, we just started. I just started working. I just started showing up. I was just there. I just started being used by God in small ways. Present yourself as an instrument of righteousness. And this is hard because we don't, man, we don't think we're good enough to do that. Right? We, we don't think we're good enough to do what we see everybody else doing. But God has uniquely created you. You are unique. You are a unicorn. Go ahead and say that to yourself. I am a unicorn. No, don't say it to yourself. I'm sorry. Some guys are like, what am I supposed to say? No. (laughs) You are unique. And you're not going to be able to do what I do or what somebody else does. You're not going to be able to do what all these other people that you see. And you don't have to. Because you are a unique instrument. And when you give yourself to God and you show up, he will use you in incredible ways. If you want to live the life of grace in this new life, walking away from who you used to be, it's got to start with dying to sin. I've got to get that out of my life, and I'm going to wrestle with it, I know, and there's going to be times where I feel like I've got to come back to confessing my sins, but I want to kill it off. And then I want to step up and show up to what God wants for me and just say, God, I want to be used by you. And lastly this, live now for the eternal. Paul writes in Romans 6, verse 22 and 23, It says, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But the free gift of God is what kind of life? It's eternal life, which means it's forever, which means the life that I want And the life that I should long for is a life that lives beyond me. It's a life that will matter long after I'm gone. It's a life that the effect of it will influence other people long after I'm here. Sin does lead to death, but the good news of Jesus is that his grace leads us to life and life eternal. And the amazing thing is that we don't have to wait to heaven to get to experience that. You can live now for the eternal. And that's what I would challenge you with and what I'm going to leave you with this afternoon. Live now for the eternal. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy, but store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Treasures that are Eternal. My shoes, my car, certainly my car, and my house will not last forever. I'm not sure it's going to last this week. Um, but how, how often do we spend, how much time do we spend worrying, getting frustrated over, losing sleep over things 
that in a few years may never matter. Certainly at the end of our lives won't matter. How much time do you spend investing in things that will be gone and won't matter? How much time and influence do you spend trying to gather things that at some point when you're done and gone away with, they won't matter or have an effect on the world at all? See, what God is trying to do is not just forgive you. He's trying to transform your life. He's not just trying to say, yeah, I forgive all of your past, and even though you're broken, I I accept you and receive you. He's wanting to transform you completely. And so we die to sin. We want to get rid of it. We want to shed it off. We want to present ourselves to God. And as we're doing that, as he's using us, we realize there are some things that really matter. Time with my children really matters. Because the legacy I leave in them will outlive me. Time in God's word and how he shapes me and how his spirit moves me really matters. Because he's going to use that. And as I speak a word into your life, it may transform somebody else. How I give to others, not just to make them feel good, but to show them God's love really matters. Because you don't know whose life will be transformed because of your love and generosity that you show. See, these things that we often focus about and worry about and stress about and get frustrated about and argue about and whine about, a lot of these things, if you ask yourself, will this matter for eternity? The answer is no. And so instead of playing the same old record again and again and again, Jesus is calling you to something better, something greater, something more. He's calling us to die to sin to hate it and say, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to choose you, God. And he's calling us then to show up and say, okay, I want my life to be about something more than just me. How do I do that, God? I'm just going to show up and I'm going to ask you and I'm going to keep praying, not just for a day, not just for a week, but I'm going to keep praying until you answer me, what's my mission? What do you want from me, God? And as he starts to show me that, and as I start to step out in faith in him, I'm going to start living for what is eternal. And I'm going to have a focus, an intentional focus, that my life, I want it to be more than just about now. You know, they have that phrase, you only live once, right? YOLO, right? YOLO. It shouldn't be you only live once. You should only have to die once. I guess Yodo didn't sound as good as YOLO. We don't have to die twice. We certainly live every single day. The problem is we're wasting a lot of time. I waste a lot of time. Worrying about things that don't matter. Pursuing things that aren't eternal. Live now for what is eternal. And as you leave this place, focus on and ask yourself, God, what's my mission? And help me to pursue it. I will never be able to make that DVD work right. No amount of toothpaste or scrubbing it is going to make that thing fixed again. But you are not too far gone to be used by God. You are not too broken to be used by him. And so my encouragement to you is this. It's not going to be easy, but accept his grace freely, reject sin, and show up 
and say, God, here I am, use me. And I promise you, it's going to be worth it. Listen to the Apostle Paul when he says, show up and present yourself as an instrument of righteousness and God will shape you and he will mold you and he will restore you and he will make you new. So that at the end of your life, you'll be able to look back and not just be able to say, God forgave me. But you will be able to say, I had no idea, God, how you would use me like this. And one day, you'll be able to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm going to pray, and we're going to take some time to respond in worship. And I pray that you would hear from the Holy Spirit now. Let's pray. God, as we think about our own brokenness, and as we think about the life that we are leading right now and what we're pursuing and what we find joy in and, God, what we desire, I pray that you would use your word uh, to challenge us. Have we died to sin? Have we gotten it out of our lives? Have we confessed it? Or are we just sitting in it? Are we just living in it, comfortable and content with staying there? Remind us that you, you forgive us, God. And in your forgiveness, there is no longer any shame. There is only freedom. For those of us, God, who have accepted that freedom, help us to show up and to present ourselves to you and say, Lord, what is my mission? If there are those of us, God, who have accepted your grace, but we've just been living our lives for ourselves and we've been more focused on what you can do for us than what you are calling us to do for you, May you correct us and challenge us here. And God, as we step out in faith and as we trust in you and as we choose you and and ask you to use us, Lord, may we remember to live each and every moment for the eternal. May your grace be here, Lord, and may you walk with us each step of the way. And I pray that your Holy Spirit does what it is so amazing at is not letting your word return void, but doing a good work in our lives. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we bless you. We thank you for just a few moments that we could enter into your house. And uh, God, thank you so much for this demonstrated um, gospel message of how it is that you broke off every form of guilt, shame, rejection, fear, heaviness, depression, anxiety, everything that was keeping us from your presence, like suicidal thoughts, God, you, you broke in and you uh, delivered each one of us. So God, we thank you for just a few minutes that we could uh, just celebrate who you are, the victory that we have in you. And God, even if we're in a broken place, God, you're able to set us free and deliver us. So it's in the mighty name of Jesus, I bless these that are in this place and pray that you prepare every heart, mind, soul, and strength to receive the good news of who you are. So it's in your mighty name, Jesus, we give you thanks. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. Thank you so much for uh, taking a few minutes of your Saturday afternoon to come out and to be in God's presence. It's never a bad thing. It's always a good thing to experience God. Hey, I'm Bobby Godwin. I pastor uh, Life Church and Marshall and Life Church in Slater. Uh, you probably, some of you have youth football players here for the last three years. You probably heard my name. 
through the Mobile Little Spartan Youth Football League. I'm the commissioner of youth football here in Mobile. And we've lived here since 2005. And I've never, like, I mean, you know, we just have always uh, done something. And and, uh, in 2010, uh, we began to do some things there in Slater. In uh, 2016, we planted our first church, Life Church Slater, uh, in that community. And I work for, for a company there in that city. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much for, uh, for your attention. Today, I want to talk to you about the message of hope. Everybody say hope. Hope is a wonderful thing, especially when you've experienced it in a dark place, like you've been in a dark season, a dark moment in your life. And I want to, first of all, say this to you, that there's only one source of hope, and that source of hope is Jesus. As a matter of fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. It says that now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen. I love this because it talks about faith being the substance of things hoped for. It'd be awesome if we could just say, hey, listen, you can get to faith just by going to Jesus. But ultimately, what it tells us is that the faith that we need to have, the only way that we can get to faith is through having this thing called hope. And in that passage, there's all kind of words that we could look at. We could look at the word of faith. We could look at the word of substance. We could look at, look at the word things hoped for. We could look at the evidence of things unseen. But ultimately, what God wants us to know and what God wants us to see is the source of our hope and the source of the hope that we need is this person first, uh, the person Jesus. Matter of fact, I love it. Not only does it start off talking in Hebrews chapter 11, but it goes on to talk about, about the heroes of our faith. But in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it, gets, it says this. Now looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, it says, let us, as who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I looked at this because this first verse in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about, men, you let us run the race that's been marked out before us. Let us run the race. And it says, then it goes on to say, it's looking unto Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. And I don't know who it is in this room, but maybe you're that person that you've been rejected. Or maybe you experienced shame. Or maybe you're a person in this past year that you've experienced financial turmoil. Or maybe you've been an individual that you've lost someone that's close to you. The wonders of this is we have to look to Jesus, who's the author and the finisher of our faith. And I said, an author, what does he do? The author, he takes a, a, an alphabet. He takes a language. He takes, and he, he takes those individual characters that would make up the alphabet. And the author, he'll take and he'll make a, a letter. And that take, he'll put two letters together. And those two letters make a sound. And he'll put three letters together. And those three letters couldn't make a word. And he makes a sentence and he makes a paragraph. And he, he makes a, a book and a chapter. And then he makes a book. And the wonderful thing about this person, Jesus, that he's a, author and the finisher of your faith and my faith. Like if you need hope, we have to look no further than the author. We go to the author and say, hey, 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 my, my faith is running low. Can you help me through this crisis? Could you rewrite, edit, correct 
this area of my faith because my faith is getting low in my marriage. That lady, she's got on my, she's got on my last nerve. That husband, he's left them underwear in the middle of the, in the bedroom for the last time. I'm sick and tired of the dishes left everybody. You, if we look to Jesus, he's author and finisher of our faith. I love it because not only it says that Jesus is author and finisher of our faith, but the word of God, the word hope in itself, biblical hope, it's not just wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation. It's a knowing for a fact that the desired out come will happen. Let's look at what happened when we see hope in action. There's a lady here in in Mark chapter 5. It says these words, verse 34, and he said unto her, daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of your plague. We know this lady. This is a woman who had the issue of blood 12 long years. And the Bible says that this lady, she'd spent all that she had. And she's gone to every doctor in the city, in the county, in her region. And they've given her prescriptions and they've told her what to do. And ultimately, her case didn't improve. It only got worse. You would think this lady would have just given up. But the word of God says the first thing that the lady done, it says that she heard. Mark chapter 5, verse 27, she said she heard that Jesus was in the area. Not only did she hear, but the word of God says in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 21, that she said within herself, if I may touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And I would imagine that this woman, if she was a mobile in Missouri woman, she got up from her sick bed. She had been in this condition a long, long time. She probably came here to the 4th Street Theater. She talked to the one of the guys in the light blue shirts, and I didn't even know you guys were wearing that, but good color, good color. She came to one of the guys in a light blue shirt. She said to him, hey, 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 I heard that there's a Jesus in this city. Could you tell me which direction he went? And they probably all pointed, oh, yes, he's on his way to Jairus' house. Oh, Jairus, he lives out by the hospital. Oh, you're going to go right up here at Rollins. You're going to get to Morley. You're going to hang a left. I imagine that lady, she struck out. And as she goes and she gets past the auditorium, she sees going under the underpass of the railroad a throng of people. This lady with this issue who should have just laid there in her couch and on her bed and just giving up on life. The word of God says that she heard about Jesus and she found faith in herself to say, listen, this game's not over as long as Jesus is in it. It says that she, she went down and crossed under the railroad bridge. I imagine she's seen the crowd turning thousands of people around Jesus, turning up morally, getting ready to go out by the hospital. I imagine she got a little trot in herself to catch up with the crowd. I imagine that once they got going under the other underpass, she probably ran up on the grass and kind of hid up by the church up on that corner. And I'd imagine that when Jesus came past her, that she ran out and she began to make her way through the crowd and pressed through that crowd. And she got up and she touched the hem of his garment. She touched him. And I don't know about you, but this lady to me, this lady is hope in action. She could have laid down on her life and she could have given up on it. And she could have quit. But she says, hey, 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 hey. I hear Jesus is in town now. 
And if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'm going to be made whole. And the Bible says that Jesus felt that touch. And there's a touch and there's a touch. When he felt this touch, he says, I felt virtue leave my body. And the promise was to this lady. He says, go in peace, lady. Be whole of your plague. And I don't know what your plague is, but this word in the, in the Greek, it's the word that we get hemorrhage from. Hemorrhage. And I looked at the medical definition of hemorrhage. Hemorrhage is a compromise in a system that her circulatory system had been compromised. And I prayed and I said, God, listen, what does this word mean for the people that are going to be in broken conference? And I said, what does this word mean for me, God? I need help. And God says, listen, there are different sources and systems that we all have. Some of us, it's not because we're bleeding. Some of us, it's our faith that's hemorrhaging. Some of us, we've got peace that's losing circulation. I don't know if you've had a flat here in the last six months, but I did. 60 miles between here and my church, and I'm out in the middle of nowhere at like 11 something at night, and I called Marcia, would you please come get me? I've got a flat tire, must have run over something along the side of the road. It just come pick me up. And in the morning, first thing, I'll go and I'll air up the tire and I'll see if I can get it here to KB Tire Shop and get my tire. And I went with my air tank the next morning and I placed it on the, the, the valve sim. And I heard this. I was airing it up and this is all I heard on the other side. Broken circulation. The tire's designed to hold the air that you place in it. This lady, in her broken condition, is symbolic to you and I. The struggles that we face with in life. The challenge that we have in life. For some of us, it's a problem that we have with, with, with feeling, uh, having our own identity in Christ. For me, 25 years ago, I was hemorrhaging in my identity. I didn't know who I was. I was a big old strong bodybuilder. I mean, it's, you can tell it was a long time ago. I mean, it's, <laughs> lots happened since then. 25 years ago, big strong bodybuilder, 600 pound bench pressing guy. And I, and I had the audacity to tell my wife who had prayed for a husband that I didn't want to be married to her anymore. And I wanted to move on with my life. And I was hemorrhaging because I did not know that the reason that I was where I was because God of heaven has selected me and chosen me and set me apart. And Marcia, she says, listen, God, I prayed for this husband of yours and, 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 and this husband that you've given me. And, and God, he's telling me that he doesn't want to be married to me. He wants to be moved on, move on with his life. And my wife, even though I was hemorrhaging and even though that I was saying things to her that would ruin her self-esteem and even though I slammed the court car door and I walked in the pastor's office that we were going to receive counseling from and I got in this office and this guy's name is Pastor David Knox of Deliverance Temple Ministries in Springfield, Missouri. And Pastor David Knox, 
He is a very petite man. He might be six clay. You said you were six foot, about 140. But Pastor, Pastor David Knox, he might be six foot 120. Like he's, it's like he's, he could get blown away in the wind. But something happened when I walked in the man's office. When I walked in his office, I don't know how to describe it, but there was a glory that overcame me. There was a tw- tinkling and the, my skin began to get really warm. And he sat down. He was a very soft-spoken man. He looked at this big, strong bodybuilding guy. He says, listen, Brother Bobby, this is what the Lord says, that you don't want to leave your wife and you don't want to leave your two little babies because you're afraid of what would happen to them if they moved in and the stepdad was to sexually abuse them. And the big, strong bodybuilding guy. (gasps) Oh, I cried my eyeballs out. I came to my senses in that moment. And this is what I'm saying to you. You may be hemorrhaging in some area of your life, but the God of the universe had you come to this place so that you would know that his garment is available for you, that you could touch it. It's available for you. Then now the next thing that we see that this that happens here in this passage, not only is this woman with the issue of blood, does she, she hope in action? But we come to find out that Jesus is the, he gives us hope and there's a God of, of all possibilities, of poss- uh, the hope and we, want, we know that there's possibilities in God. In Mark chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, we find these words. It says, and Jesus said unto this man, if you believe, all things are possible to him that believes. And it says, immediately the father of the child, he cried out and said in tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And what had happened in this moment? The disciples that Peter, James, and John in this passage, they'd gone to the mountaintop with Jesus. And they had seen Jesus uh, on the mountain. And his senses, the Bible says that his body became very bright like the sun. And he became radiant. And I'm mad at Peter, James, and John. They were looking at Jesus as his body just became light. And I imagine that this light wasn't just a light that was, was on Jesus. But I imagine as they looked at their skin, that the light that was shining off Jesus actually would go through their skin and come out on the other side. They're on this mountaintop with Jesus. But when they come down, they see the disciples, the other nine disciples with the scribes and Pharisees. And they're having a conversation conversation. And the conversation is not any conversation. It's some of this finger pointing. And Jesus, he comes up to him and says, what are you talking to my boys about? Basically, I'm going to put it in Bobby Godwin, like 715. What are you talking to my guys about? He said, oh, you see the man here. He's brought his son to your disciples. And oftentimes the son was cast into the fire and often into the water to destroy him. And the man says, I brought him to your disciples. And they couldn't do anything. And the man says, Lord, if you can do anything, would you have compassion on us? And Jesus says, all things are possible to him that believes. This man prays, Lord, help my unbelief. And so what is God saying to me and you? God sent us if we would just allow Jesus into our circumstance. I don't know what this guy's life was like with his son that was demon possessed that would throw him in the fire and throw him in the water. But it says that this man, he placed his faith in Jesus and he knew that all things were possible. All things were possible that he, to him that believed. The next thing that we see here is there's a God of unlimited hope. Everybody say unlimited hope. 
unlimited hope. There's no greater a story than this man that was uh, and living in the in the in the graveyard, y'all. Y'all know this one out here on Rollins across from the funeral home by Assembly of God Church. Y'all know, the, y'all know the graveyard. The Bible says that there was a man that lived amongst the tombs. And he was naked and he cried and he cut himself with rocks. And he says that oftentimes they would come to this guy and they would try to put shackles and handcuffs on him. And it says that, that no one could tame him. He was untamable. But Jesus is on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he tells his disciples, let us go over to the other side, to the Gadarenes. And it says that they set sail. And as Jesus stepped off of the boat onto this guy's territory, that no one would go onto. The guy began to scream. And there were demons inside this guy that were screaming at Jesus. And so what is this point of this story. I believe that God included this healing of Jesus so that you and I would know, you and I would know, you and I would know that is a God of compassion and love. That sometimes he doesn't wait for us to get us, get our act together. Sometimes he looks at our condition where we are and he chooses to step into that condition to cause our situation to change. And I don't know about you, but you've got some problems with baby. You ain't living in the cemetery. You're not crying and cutting yourself with rocks. You're, you're not, you know, killing animals out there and eating them. You're not out there being standing around naked, screaming at people are coming by. This guy had some serious trouble. And Jesus shows that even though this same person had no idea who God was. He had no ability to pray and cry out to God. Jesus shows up in his situation to heal him of something that he could have never gotten himself out of. And the God of the universe, so oftentimes we don't see him working in our life. But I can't begin to imagine the number of times my life has been spared because God chose to step into my condition and my circumstance and to make it all things new for me and what I want to do for you right now. And I don't know what your situation is. Maybe there's uh, different things that you're facing. Maybe there's shame. Maybe there's rejection. Maybe there's fear. Maybe there's heaviness. Maybe there's depression that you've been experiencing. And maybe there's something in your life that you want to have, but maybe it's hemorrhaging away. Maybe it's your truth. Maybe it's your righteousness. Maybe it's your faith and salvation. Maybe it's your peace. Maybe it's your prayer life that's hemorrhaging. Maybe it's you not spending any time in the word of God, but God says to you, if you'll touch the hem of his garment, that you can be made whole. You don't have to stay in that condition. Isn't that awesome? That we serve a God that will look down on us and say, hey, listen, I'm going to do something for you. And I'm going to cause my presence to turn your situation around. I love it because if we went on to the next passage, which we won't, but it talks about Jesus coming on the donkey and him going to prepare the way for me and you. And I love it because it talks about him um, saving us from our sins. The angel tells him that Jesus, when he comes, that he's going to save us from our sins. And I don't know about you, but if this room this, uh, that we're in right now, if it were a pit, and the walls were the top of the pit, and you and I sitting in the bottom of the pit, there would be no way that we could save ourselves from this room without someone going to the top and pulling us out of it. And Jesus promised to me and you that he came to save us from our sins. I don't know about you, but when Jesus was riding on that donkey, baby, I know he had a checklist of all the different things that he was going to do. 
I believe that he looked out, looked out across there and he says, listen, first thing I'm going to need is a betrayer. The next thing I'm going to need is a garden. The next thing I'm going to need is, is a cross. I imagine that it was so important to Jesus that every part of his crucifixion that we celebrate on this Easter weekend, it was designed and directed by Jesus. And I'd imagine this week that we just passed through that he was going around making sure that the wood was made, the cross was made out of the right beams. He was making sure that the nails were going to be enough, long enough nails to penetrate his flesh and to to, uh, go through the the cross and to support his body. I would imagine the same Jesus that rode the donkey, he's looking, he's going by, and he's expecting that cat of nine tails that they used to whip his back. And here's this promise to me and you, that he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him, and by his stripes we're healed. So what is it that? You need to be healed up. I'm going to ask that you stand and we're going to pray. I'm going to ask God to do just an amazing thing in your life that he would cause your life, your situation, the thing that you need to, to be turned around. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bless every person under the sound of my voice. I thank you, God, that you're the God that you see our situation and you see the circumstances that we're facing. God, you see the adversity that has tried to steal our hope, steal our joy, steal our peace, steal our faith. And God, we look to you tonight, today. Uh, and we ask you that, you that you would intervene. Well, right at this moment, would you cause us to come in contact with you? Come in contact with your goodness. Come in contact with your mercy. Come in contact with your compassion. Come in contact with your love. This woman that she exercised faith because she got up off of her bed of affliction. She came to where you were. She pressed through the crowd and she said within herself, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. And the word of God says that she touched you. And when she touched you, you knew something had happened, something had changed. And so, God, I'm praying that for each person in this room. There's financial concerns that are in this room. There's hemorrhaging there. There are marriage concerns that are in this room, that uh, circulation's been lost, there's been a compromise. God, there's uh, family disorders and dysfunctions. There's been a compromise in those areas. Father, there's um, employment and occupational-related issues. God, we need you to touch. So I'm asking God that you would do that for these in this room, that you cause up, cause all of us to know that you're God that sees and knows every adversity that we're facing and you're God that's here for us to set us free. We love your word because you say that you give us beauty for ashes and oil of joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness and God, we ask in the name of Jesus that you would do just that for us. God, everything that the enemy has used to gain legal right into our life to cause affliction and pain, he came to kill, steal, and destroy. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came that we might have life and life more abundantly. So, God, I'm praying now that you would do what you promised in Revelation 12, verse 11, that you would cause all of us to overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So, God, we thank you for this conference, and we thank you that it's through our testimonies and through the blood of Jesus that we overcome. So, Father, would you give your ministering spirits charge concerning us to bear us up lest we dash our foot against the stone. Let us learn, God, that the battle is not ours, but it's yours. And we thank you for sending Jesus to set us free 
from every form of affliction of the enemy that we might have life and life more abundantly. Let's give God a great big hand clap of praise. Thank you for that. All right, here we go. We're in the home stretch. I'm going to have Pastor Daniel and Pastor Bobby sit down with me. Pastor Daniel threw me under the bus, but he didn't know that he was going to sit down and talk with me about stuff. So I'll start with you, since you spoke first, okay? I'm having a really hard time because there's lots of people watching me. Not me right now, but... I want to accept Jesus. I don't want people to watch me walk back there. What's the best way to do it? <laughs> no pressure. Oh, uh, Daniel's question's coming. So. Okay, well, um, I don't, I don't, I want to be kind of blow up everybody's religious bubble here. But my, my personal relationship with Jesus has been personal. And when I discovered, when I discovered it wasn't the relationship with the pastor, nor my relationship with the church, but my relationship with Jesus was with him personally. I, I mean, it's like I've been saved three or four times, you know. I got saved at 18 when my teammate at Missouri State was killed in a car accident. And at 25, I had the revelation that I shared with today, like God saved me and then just gave me this desire to love his people. Then when I turned 40, I said, God, what's my life purpose? Sorry for getting all fired up. But what's my life purpose? What do you want me to do with my life? And it's like every single time it's just been a deeper revelation. You know, it's like you can start there, but it's got to be personal between you and Jesus and that is I think the secret you can this guy you know um, that was hanging on the cross you know I listened to today and I almost pulled off the road crying this guy saying remember me in your glory the other guy said hey save yourself and save us too you know he said oh Lord would you just remember me and Jesus tells him today you'll be with me in paradise oh I mean just those words, like the humility that it took for him to realize, like, hey, I'm getting ready to take my last breath. This guy has done nothing, but I deserve what I'm getting. And Lord, would you remember me? And so I would say, sorry for a 20 minute answer to a 15 second question, but I would say the relationship has to be personal. And um, if we can encourage that more than relationship with a church can't save anybody it's got to be that relationship with Jesus Christ and you doing that one on one and it doesn't have to be a whole bunch of fancy words but just simply inviting him to save you and to transform your life to make things new in your own words and he just looks at our hearts he accepts that that's what I would say alright that's a great answer no wrong answer just a great answer now it's your turn. There are wrong answers for me. There are, yeah. Wrong question. <laughs> Who's got my dinghy bell? Ding. <clears throat> I have been saved. Just like Pastor Bobby said a couple times. I'm still broken. 
Now what? Thank you for that question. I would like to address why I didn't get invited into the Blue Shirt Club, though. <laughs> hey, skinny people don't look good in blue. <laughs> That's just a fact. <laughs> I, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. We were at church every time the doors were open. And so, uh, like many people, I got very good at playing a game. I, well, at thinking that salvation meant I do these things. And, um, and uh, it wasn't until later in life when I when I really realized I wasn't living by the Spirit of God, I was living by my own spirit. Um, and that, that is completely, uh, it doesn't satisfy at all. And, um, and there's a lot of good people doing good things that aren't being led by the Spirit of God. And so I am still broken. Um, and I think that piece of humility spurs me on uh, to pursue Jesus even more. Uh, not so I get anything from myself, uh, but so that I know him. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That's all, that's his greatest desire. And he called himself the chief of sinners. But he also, in the same token, even though he said I'm the chief of sinners, he also didn't downplay the ministry that God had given him. And I think a lot of times we have this misconception about uh, God's grace and forgiveness that it's going to, in a moment, uh, not make me who I was. And we forget that it is through serving God that he is transforming us into who he wants us to be. So um, God never said you had to be perfect in order to do something for him. I mean, can anybody think of a person in the Bible that was used by God other than Jesus that was perfect? They were all pretty messed up. Adulterers, murderers, deserters. I mean, there's some pretty rough people that, that we look to as heroes of our faith that, that weren't great. So... A lot of times we, we use our brokenness as an excuse not to do something for God. And so um, I would just say let's have a deeper understanding of what salvation means, mm-hmm. that he is transforming me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to be used by him each step of the way. And whether that's washing someone's shoes or whether that's stepping out to, to say something to someone I don't even know, uh, I'm going to be used by him. All right. So here's a question for both of you. And I want to hand you this mic, so make sure everybody's. So in my past, I have bad relationship with a pastor, say? Okay, when I was young. So like COVID, I keep everybody six feet apart, right? So... If not coming to a person with the authority in the church to talk about my brokenness, who would you suggest that I talk to? Who's taking it first? I mean, beauty first. So. Oh, wow. Blue shirt. So um, I think they're great. I think it's wonderful uh, that Jesus had 12 disciples. Mm. You know, he didn't just have himself to everybody to come to. And that was wonderful. And I think uh, in the body of Christ, there are people uh, that we can look to, uh, that we, we can talk to about anything. I mean, 
there's a man named Vernon Maxted who uh, was the first Baptist church pastor uh, in Marshall. Last In 2019, uh, we were doing jail ministry together. He says to me, he's, and all the people that are on the jail ministry team Sunday afternoons when we're going into, into Saline County Jail, he says, uh, this is his voice, he says, man, I'm no longer going to continue to come into jail ministry. I can't hear quite as well as I used to. Um, but God says he's not finished with me yet. And just this year, February 7th, Vernon Maxted celebrated his 100th birthday. He still does a Bible study every Sunday afternoon at um, 3 p.m. with the people at his assisted living facility. Oh my goodness. Has that guy been like, I mean, you're talking about talking to pastors, but like for me to look at my life, hey man, I just turned 50. He sent me a video message. Hey, Brother Bobby, I just want to wish you a happy birthday. You're halfway there. He just, he just celebrated his, his 100th birthday. So my point, that's my point. My point is, is that God has tremendous vessels that even if you're not willing to talk to your pastor, say, hey, pastor, I mean, I know you're busy, but... Is there someone in your, that you would recommend that I would talk to about this situation? And, uh, you know, that I get some counsel from on this situation? It, you know, and or if they are, there are other leaders in the church uh, that you can lean on. i tell you who I've had pray for me. That's, that's been absolutely wonderful. And what I wanted to learn how to love, and she wasn't a pastor. But I knew that, hey, this woman's got something that I need. And anybody in this room know Ann Miller? Oh, Ann Miller. I've never met a more loving person in my life than Ann Miller. So Ann Miller, she was a teacher here for the kindergartners for 40 years, long time. So I said, Miss Ann, would you please, I mean, you're not a pastor, but I know you can help me. I got some people I want to kill in my church. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. I said, God, I want to kill. Miss Ann, will you help me? I said, would you teach me how to pray? And this is probably first six months of life, church. Would you teach me um, how are you so loving to people? And she says, "Um, Bobby, what I do is I just try to make people feel the way Jesus makes me feel. And when she said those words, and we're in the parking lot of the church, and she lays her hands on my shoulder, and she just prays a simple prayer. Oh, God, would you help Bobby just to love people the way you love him? Oh, God, would you? And I'm, I'm out there. Uh, you know, I'm trying to hold it together, be manly and pastoral. <laughs> but she laid a waylay on me in, the, in this whole love category. So my point is... With her, I just felt like impressed. Oh, God, I need somebody that can help me. And who's the most loving person that I know in my life? Ann Miller. Go talk to Ann Miller. So um, sometimes you can, you can go ask a pastor. Sometimes it's as simple as asking God, and he will, he'll give you direction. And that person, that's going to be the best fit for you.
try to follow that up. Now, that's a great word. And that's a great word. <laughs> I, I would only, I would say two things just to add to that. Number one, um, we we give so much value to the person who has the microphone, and um, and we give so much power to that individual. And I mean that in a you know yeah sure figuratively I mean, right. You matter yeah. somewhat. You, and you no. Uh, we, we, in our Western culture, we live in a world of celebrity pastors, right? So they wear the right shoes, they have the right hair, but they, they're, they're in that position for, for whatever reason, um, but they could be gone tomorrow and the church of Jesus Christ is still going to continue. And so um, we, we have to be very careful in our churches not to follow a personality, but to follow Christ. And not, that doesn't take away from the hurt that a, a pastor may have caused you. That's very real. And if they have abused their responsibility, um, that's on them. Uh, even though they have hurt you. And so that is very real. Um, But I would just encourage people to remember that uh, they're not Jesus. (laughs) They're not your Savior. They they might be a vessel and a broken vessel, and they might have flaws, or they certainly do, uh, but they're not Jesus. So with that in mind, uh, someone once told me that uh, you don't need to find someone that has all the answers. You just need to find someone that has, uh, that's a step ahead of you. Uh, And so different situation but I, I wanted I wanted to know how to be a better husband and so I looked for someone that I thought they, they are doing it right or from my perspective they're doing it right I could see that their children love them I could see that even though they were busy they're managing their time well and they still have time for their children so so you go to that person you say hey how can how are you doing that tell me what it is that you do and um, and a lot of times we want the person that has all the answers uh, but if we can find someone that's just a step ahead um, you're going to see the body of Christ. There's a reason why it says every member matters. Amen. And uh, every member um, can also be a help to you. So. Amen. Amen. And I'm glad we're not cool because none of us have skinny jeans on. So. Well. <clears throat> you're just... Uh... I don't, I don't have a middle part. I don't have the middle part, though. <laughs> Some things are better left unseen. I mean, it's wrong. <laughs> All right. Next one. <laughs> Please. I don't even know where to go with that. So, we're starting a ministry, right? Broken Record Ministry. As pastors, what would you like to hear us talk about in an episode? Everyday things. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Skinny jeans. No. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Didn't fill out a card. <laughs> uh, uh, you have to give me a second to think about it. I mean, when you talk about when you talk about brokenness, I think the thing that has resonated so much with people is is that idea of, I, I feel like I need to be perfect, but I know I'm not, and so there's no place for me to be real. Um, and so, so maybe, for me, I, I think in order to get to that place where, yes, I'm accepted, and yes, we can be real with each other, but then we also have to be real on where God is leading us. Uh, and so maybe talking about that accountability, uh, kind of like what you just said earlier, that nobody wants to, everybody wants to be held accountable until they are. Um, so uh, maybe some practical ways of, how do I hold someone accountable who said they wanted to be held accountable, but now I'm trying to, and they're, they're not doing it, you know? Um, so maybe some of those biblical ideas of, of, of submission, uh, how to hold someone accountable, maybe some practical ways to talk to people in a way that they'll hear it uh, and not just 
put you out. Yeah. I would say testimonies. You know, Revelation 12 and 11 says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Probably the most powerful testimony I've heard was a, a famous preacher now says that when he was just getting started, um, the media in Washington, D.C. began to attack him and smear his name. And uh, he wanted so badly to give up and to quit. And uh, he says there was a group of pastors that were meeting uh, after his him speaking, and he was supposed to go downstairs and speak with a lady. And uh, and he says he just kind of drug his feet because all the heaviness of like you, you almost feel like you're in a performance speaking to people. Then behind closed doors, man, he just feels like you know just like just wanting to fold up and give up. The last thing he wants to do is go out there and meet with a lady. But he makes his way out there, and the lady is still there. And she looks at him, and she says his name. Pastor, you don't know me, do you? He's like, no, ma'am, I don't. Um, she says, God had me come to encourage you. And uh, she said, I was in the hospital. I had an infection in my stomach, and the doctors thought I was going to die. And said, she looked at him, she said, but you're the only reason that I'm here today. And I want you to know, you don't do it for them. You do it for us. You do this for us. And he said, if it had not been for that lady that met him out after church when he felt like he was going to throw in the towel, wanted to give up. To cause him to know and to believe that God, this is about the body of Christ. Like, and pastors need to be encouraged. I mean, we, I mean, that's a, you know, it's a lot, but you then you got this whole persona thing. Brother, how are you doing? It's so good to see you. God bless you. You know, you got this that whole, voice pers- is good, oh, man. you like that, you don't you? That, you put it on real fast. <laughs> but deep down. Deep down, there can be brokenness, there can be pain, there can be rejection. There's always, you know, so much uncertainty. You know, you got faith for a reason <laughs> as a pastor. And when God tests your faith, it's, uh, it's a big, big deal. You know, you don't know how everything's going to work out, but we have to trust God. And I think if you, if you shared testimonies, I believe pastors would be definitely blessed and touched by that. And so that guy, the pastor that I'm talking about is a famous pastor. He went on preaching. He says that same lady showed up at a book signing. This time, she, the first time she was frail, just skin and bones. The next time, she looked across the table at him. He didn't know who she was. He looked at her, and she says, you don't remember me, do you? He says, no, ma'am, I don't. He said, you remember when you were at a, a pastor so-and-so's church up in Virginia, and there was a lady that came to the table. He says he lost it. He began crying his eyeballs out. He stopped the signing. He goes over, and he hugs that lady. He says, you don't know how important that was to me, that that was a divine appointment, a fork in the road for me. It's kind of like I share with my story, you know, with uh, me, my wife making an appointment with the pastor there in Springfield, and I went back to see him last year. I said, you don't remember me, do you? <laughs> I was at this church 25 years ago, and your little office was over there, and I was a football player, and I used to play here at Missouri State. Oh, yeah, I kind of remember you. You, was a, you look a little different. I said, oh, yes, sir, I do. I look away. I don't look like I can play anything now, do I? 
I said, but you prayed for me and, and my wife in your office and God showed up. I mean, it was a, definitely a divine appointment. I was in no way interested in salvaging anything. But when he spoke those words into my life, man, it changed me. It was a divine appointment. And I left that office a changed man, repentant man, cried out to God. I would go in the closets at work and work to the big company. I would go in the training room in the closets doing launches and breaks and stuff. And just God would have me cry out to him because I'd gotten so far away from where I was saved in 19 to 25, now it was all about me. Maybe I was such a good this, and maybe I was so smart. Maybe I was this. Maybe it was because I was just all that in a bag of chips, to be honest. And God had to break it off in me and say, this is, this is, this is all this is because I was kind of my Nebuchadnezzar. Y'all remember him? He ate the grass and had his hair grow like feathers. But it was, it was definitely a defining moment in my life. So the testimony piece of it would be super powerful if you've done a pastor's episode. Huh? Well, I want to thank both of you for speaking today, taking some hard questions from me, putting up with me, countless texts leading up to today. 